0: Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, fill me with your spirit, help us to com- help us to grasp what this passage is. Lord, I, I, I pray well I, I just know that the, there's some people in this room, that that have all the right theology around church in their heads, but it hasn't gripped their hearts. Church may be something we come to, but really we're not excited about it. Church has become something that yeah, oh, we can kind of take it or leave it. And yet, help us to realise that after this sermon that this is the most exciting and, and important gathering we're gonna be a part of all this week. Help us, for those of us who are nominal here, help us to turn that around. Do a work through your spirit, through your word this morning, we pray, and change us in our seats as we hear your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when I uh, planted my previous church called Resolved, I got, got a a team together, and one of the things that we did is we read a book by Dan Kimball, and it was a great book. It was called "They Like Jesus, But Not the Church." And It was the whole idea that you've got a group, uh, you've got basically a Western society that is really enamored with Jesus, but they don't like the church and they've had problems with the church, either with the ideas of the church or, you know, their relationships with the church or church members. And yet, they really, really like Jesus. And it seems to me that that what a lot of people think is that they can have a relationship with Jesus or God and not have a relationship with the church or not be part of the church. And I think we see this in, in Western Christianity. We see this because 20 to 30 years ago, the average person who said they were coming to church or part of a church would come on average three out of four Sundays. Now it's one and a half out of four Sundays. And if you ask people how much do you come to church, People people generally think they're coming to church far more than they actually are. 25% more. So if the person is actually coming half the time, they think they're coming three quarters of the time and so more. And yet, what we're going to see today is that you cannot follow Jesus unless you're part of a church. And yet, I think even when we say part of a church, we actually don't have what this passage is speaking about. Because it's not just talking about rocking up. In fact, this passage is going to to really challenge us like no other. To say, actually, you can come to church. You can come to growth group and never actually have come to church. You can physically come and yet your emotional, spiritual life is not touched. And it's not because of the people around you or the church. It's all because of you. That's one side of it. But there's also this other thing in our world called expressive individualism. That is to say that we define ourselves nowadays by ourselves and who we are, and therefore uh, we kind of shun a community definition. We don't let the communities around us define us, or that's actually what we think. And we see that by the little catchphrases that we say a lot, right? It's all about you. You do you. You go after what you want. If you have dreams in your heart, you go after them. That's expressive individualism, right? And we hear that all the time. And so when that comes into church, what happens is we think church is actually all about us. Church is there for me and my spiritual uh, fulfillment, or church is there so I can get kind of a, a kind of spiritual shot in the arm for me for this week as I go after my dreams. See, so one of our problems, I think, at Marsfield Community Church, but I think every church, I've met with a couple of pastors this week in different contexts, and this is pretty much every church, is that we have let the world's definitions of ourselves actually help us see what we think about church or define how we... How we uh, come to church, and yet, if we're going to, if we're going to really hear Hebrews ten today, there's actually got to be a lot of repentance. And so, be prepared to repent. Are you, are you willing to repent if God's word says you need to? I hope you are. I hope you are. We're going to see three things as as we look at this passage we're going to we're going to see that this passage says embrace your identity embrace your community and embrace your role, embrace your identity, embrace your community, and embrace your role. Now, what we've got to realize is this. In the book of Hebrews, one of the big things in the book of Hebrews is this. Are you, if you follow Jesus, are you going to persevere to the end? That is, are you going to run the race so that on that last day, when you stand before Jesus, is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, or are you going to fall away? That's that's the big question. And this is another section where the writer to the Hebrews, we don't know who, who that person was, but the writer to the Hebrews is actually saying, hey, this is all about perseverance. This is all about persevering to the end. And the first thing that we need to get is identity. Have a look at verse excuse me, 19 with me. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, now, where does he take you or take us? He leads us by the hand and he says, let's go to the temple. This is very, very, very temple language. And did you see what's happened to you because of what Jesus has done? You have been, through the blood of Jesus, you've been sprinkled, you've been washed clean. That is, the sin that defiles you, Jesus has dealt with totally and utterly. In every single way. Now, there's no blockage between you and God. Because of what Jesus has done, you can know him. And you can know him intimately. Did you see once again, verse 19, you have confidence. Verse 20, by a new and living way, opened us through the curtain. The curtain there is talking about the curtain that was the, the dividing wall between the holies, holies and, and the rest of the temple. That's been split in two, Matthew says. So now you can know God with intimacy. Verse 22, let us draw near with full assurance. In the Old Testament, you would never draw near to God because he is holy and you aren't. And yet, now because of what Jesus has done, you can come and draw near. That is the language of intimacy. You can know God intimately because of what Jesus has done. And so your identity is one of a person who knows your Heavenly Father, but has been forgiven, who has been washed clean. That is who you are. When I was a kid, I had a a paper out. Right? I used to sell the Maury Champion. That's what we called it back in the day. It wasn't much of a champion newspaper. We used to sell it, right? And uh, and the, I used to go into the businesses uh, on, on Baylow Street, the, the main street in Maury. I would sell sell papers and, and that kind of thing, right? And uh, there was one particular uh, shop that I used to go into, the National Bank. I used to love going into the National Bank because um, my mum worked at the local uh, race course and she knew the manager of the National Bank called Barry Bird. Barry was a great guy. I knew Barry because of connections with my mum. And to me, he was Baza. You know, I'd say, hey, Baza, how are you doing? But he would lend out millions and millions of dollars. He was a really powerful dude in, in the town of Maury, in the region of, you know, the northwest west of New South Wales. And uh, and I didn't know this, but he was kind of a, a pretty intense boss. So, so I would go into to the uh, National Bank of, of Maury, and there'd be people going up to him and go, hey, Mr. Bird, um, your four o'clock's here. Hey, Mr. Bird, these are the numbers, all this kind of stuff. And I, as a 14-year-old, would go up to him and go, hey, Bowser, how are you doing? And we had this thing where he'd go, oh, hands. Yeah, I'm going well. And he'd say, "I oh, so, hands. I bet you you want me to, you know, buy a newspaper off you. And I said, well, Barry, I don't know about that. I don't know. It depends how big of a tip you're going to give me, right? I, I've heard you managers are on a bit of cash, so I want I a fairly big tip. And everyone was like, how, how could you go and speak like that to, to Mr. Barry Bird, who I called Bazaar? Well, it is because we had a totally different relationship. I considered Barry a mate. They considered him a boss. Here, what, what what this passage is saying is this. Now you come before God, your Heavenly Father. You consider him your Heavenly Father. You come into his throne room. Yes, he is a king. But it's a totally different relationship. It's not one of fear, it's one of intimacy. Do you have that relationship with God? But here's the other thing, did you notice notice who he's talking to? Have a look again, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Do you see the words I'm emphasizing? He's not saying you individual. He's saying we. If we were Greek and we watch Acropolis now, I don't know if you remember that. It's not you, it's yous. It's us. So, so you, do, do you realize part of your identity is not being an in, a, a Western individual? It is, you are part of the body of Christ, and that defines you now. It's not a you, it's a we, it's, it's not I, it's us. That's what it's actually all about. That's the, that's the reality. You are not saved to be an individual Christian. You are saved to be part of a community. It's the plural language. And yet, I wonder if you've really embraced that. Do you realize that you cannot be a Christian apart from community? I remember a a conversation that I had with a friend. He was leaving uh, the church that I was pastoring and he said he's going to have a break for three months. And I remember having this fight with him. Like, we're really, really good friends. So, you know, we're we're like brothers. We we would do that. And I can remember, I, I said, you're being an idiot. You're actually walking away from Jesus because the Bible does not know a Christian who is not involved in a church and doesn't make it as their thing to be part of a church. You cannot be an individual Christian. And he didn't listen to me, but his wife, who was in the next room, did, and she said, we're going to church. And I remind him of that on a daily basis, right? Right. But but here's the thing, here's, here's my fear. I think we we believe that we can, we can um, be individual Christians. We actually don't need the church. And I'll tell you how I know that. It's by church attendance. One of the things that's happened after COVID is we have seen people uh, who used to come three out of four or four out of four drop to two out of four or one out of four Sundays. And so what does that mean? What that means is, I think we we are believing that I can be a Christian alone. I can be an individual Christian. And yet, the Bible says, actually, you're really in spiritual danger. This is a passage about whether you're going to go and persevere to the end. And he's saying, the writer of the Hebrew is saying, it's a corporate thing. It is a corporate thing. You are not an individual Christian. And if you think you can follow Jesus without the church, you're sorely mistaken. And I, I am I am eternally terrified for you. I am scared to bits for you. See, our identity is people who have been forgiven by Jesus, but it's a corporate identity, not an individual one. But but here's the second point. We, we not only, our first point was a, a embrace your identity. The second thing is embrace your community. Have a look at verse 24 with me. It says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up, uh, giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. He is saying once again, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, being an active part of the church is what you do. Now, notice notice these words. Have a look again with me. Verse 25 not giving up meeting as some are in the habit of doing. I find that phenomenal. Here's what he's saying. He's saying if you're a Christian, you meet. And if you don't meet, you've got to develop a habit to stop meeting. It's not that you, if you come to church every week, you haven't got a habit of coming to church. You are just leaving out your identity. If you start not coming to church, you're developing a habit of staying away. That's what the writer is saying. So I wonder, what, are you developing that habit? Or are you living out your identity? That's the question. But also, once again, have a look at the language that he uses. Verse 24. He is saying that what, what is happening here is bigger than you or me. The, 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 phrase, the phrase here, not giving up meeting uh, uh, as, in the habit of, uh, as some are in the habit of doing, the original can mean not abandoning each other. And he uses a very specific word there, which, which is a kind of a military word. The idea is, imagine we're all on the front line and we're fighting in a battle and then you see some people just running away the opposite way and they're abandoning us. He's saying that's what's happening when we choose to stay away from the gathering, from church. But also he's saying, actually, don't you realise that you're in spiritual warfare? All the, all the way through the New Testament, there's spiritual warfare language. And one of the things that, that, that we get messed up with is uh, spiritual warfare, a lot of people talk about spiritual warfare in really weird ways, right? So we watch The Exorcist or, or, or something like this and we, we expect spiritual warfare to be this thing where someone's speaking Latin and speaking in low voice and, you know, the head goes 360 or whatever, Right. But if you have a look in the Bible, spiritual warfare is Satan getting you to doubt the Word of God and believe His lies. That's that's all spiritual warfare is, in the majority of the time. It's doubting the Word of God and believing His lies, uh, 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 believing Satan's lies. And one of the ways Satan gets us to doubt the Word of God and believe His lies is by actually filling up our lives with his doubts, with his lies. And then one of the biggest lies is not go to church. Why is that one of Satan's biggest strategies? Because when you're at church, you hear the word of God. When when, when you're at church, you get confronted with the reality of who Jesus is. When you're at church, you get to go, well, actually, I need to think about some of the lies I've believed and so the lies that Satan is filling my head with through so many different channels nowadays, I can confront with the Word of God. And so don't you realize when you come to church and you hear the Word of God and you hear the truth of God, you sing the truth to each other and you encourage each other in the truth, you're actually declaring war. It's not just this small little thing, right? Right? Of I'm just coming to church, I'm just singing. Or I'm just coming to church, I'm just hearing another sermon or I'm just going to growth group or something, right? So one of the things I think men uh, don't like church is because they haven't got the reality behind church. We go, oh man, we're singing some songs, it's a big girly, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm listening to a sermon, it's kind of a bit weird, you know, whatever. But if, but if us men... Actually, went, actually, I'm going to war this Sunday when I go to church. Imagine, imagine if one of your friends said to you, Hey mate, look, you know, it's Friday, 5 p.m., what are you doing on the weekend? Hey, on Sunday morning 10 a.m. I'm going to war. I'm going to spiritual war because I'm going to church. I think if the men of this church actually grasped that, we would have. Far more men in this church than women, wouldn't we? We would have the men of this church going, guess what, honey? We're going to say to our our families, our friends, sorry, we can't do anything on a Sunday morning because we're going to be here. In fact, you know, because the Word of God is is such an important thing, as a man, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the lead in reading the Bible and praying with my kids every night. That's what I'm going to do because I'm the leader of this household, and guess what? We go to war as a family. I wonder if you guys as men have got that idea. Have you grasped the spiritual nature of church, the warfare nature of church? But can you see why we're so concerned for you if you stay away from church? We're so concerned because there is a spiritual battle here. And for you not to come to church is actually giving in to the enemy. And so there's a sense in which when you don't embrace your community, you're actually embracing the ideas that the world has. You're embracing the spirit of the age. Not what God would say for you to embrace. So let's have a look at our last point. Embrace your role. Have a look at verse 24 again with me. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, now I find that word spur really interesting, right? I don't know if you've ever um, watched an old Western, right? My dad used to love old Westerns. I, did, I thought they were boring. But, but all the cowboys had spurs on their on on the back of their shoes, and they would kind of kick the uh, their horses if they wanted to sprint. The, 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 it's a it's a painful kind of metaphor. It doesn't make you feel good when you really think about it, right? Because he's saying, actually, you know what we're meant to do is there's a sense in which we're meant to make each other uncomfortable at church. He doesn't say, actually, what I want you to do is you know. In, When you come to church, when you come together, I want you to go out of your way to make sure everyone likes you and everyone feels good. No, he's saying spur each other on to love and good deeds. What does that mean? I think it means the conversations we have are not going to be nice always sometimes they're going to be tough and confrontational. Now, in saying this, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm white. I'm going to talk about Asian culture for a second. I talked to two pastors who are Asians this week, and they they gave me permission to do it, so so they said. Um, Over the last two years, I've read tons about Asian culture, And what I've noticed in Asian culture, both by reading and everything, is that even if you have been in multiple generations in in, in Australia, you have this idea of saving face. That is, I don't want to say anything or do anything that will embarrass somebody else, right? And I don't want to be confrontational. You know, if there's a problem... I don't want to make them feel upset because there's something in the relationship that can kind of break down. I was talking to two pastors who are both Korean uh, this week and they, uh, they grew up at the same church which is imploding at the moment because there's all these issues that no one wants to talk about. right? And I, and I said, why do you think that is? And I said, because we're Korean. We don't talk about issues, right? That kind of thing. And yet, can you see how the writer of the Hebrews says, you've got to be the opposite to that. If you've got a brother or sister in Christ who is, is not living as they should and you don't say anything because you will feel uncomfortable or they will feel uncomfortable, you're not loving them at all. You may be saving face, but they may be going to hell. See, one of the things that happens in white churches, and I grew up in a white church, right, a white country church, what we need to do is to be far more gracious and not go into conflict as much as we did, right? We just did that because we're white country folk, and that's what we did. But I think what happens when there's more traditional cultures, we need we, you know, who are are part of more traditional cultures, we need to realize that we actually need to be confrontational sometimes. We need to go to people and go, I really, really, really love you, but I'm really concerned. Uh, Or I know there's tension between us and we need to deal with it. I haven't seen you at church for ages And I've been encouraging you, but I'm really concerned because I feel like you're walking away from Jesus. To not have those conversations gently. Yes, we've got to be gently. I'm not saying be a jerk about it. I'm saying gentle. To not have those conversations is to not be loving and is to not embrace our identity as Christians. But you know the flip side to that? That means we've got to be open to rebuke, and to correction. So, see, the, the implication, I think, of Hebrews 10, 19 to 25 is that we're a community that is willing to be open with each other, that will hear the other things. Why? Because we want to see each other and we want to see ourselves persevere to the end what's your desire for the person sitting next to you? But what's your desire for yourself? Do you want to see yourself on that last day, standing before Jesus? Well, one of the things that we have to do is change what we, what we talk about after church. I don't know about you, but I love catching up with, with, with you guys. And, um, and I love talking about stuff after church. I love to hear about you know, how your job is going, how your family's going. I love to talk about sport. It seems like Damien and I always talk about basketball, and that's fun. I love that, you know. But but of late, I've been concerned about the conversations that I've been having, and I want to repent of something in front of you because I don't think I've led you guys as a church well in having good conversations after church. It's, it's very rare that I ask spiritual conversations And therefore, it's very rare that we ask spiritual conversations. Imagine if, instead of just talking about the latest movie or or what happened on the weekend or or something like that, we ask these two questions. What has gripped your heart from the Scriptures this week? Not what what have you read in the Scriptures. No, 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 no. What has gripped your heart this week? Or what if we ask the question... What sin is the Holy Spirit helping you to repent of? Very confronting questions, aren't they? Because the first implies that you're actually reading the Bible, but not only you're reading the Bible, that you're communing with God through the scriptures and He's speaking to your heart. And you have to be open to, to, to do that. But the second one says if you're talking about sin you're repenting of, you have to not care about how you look. You have to drop the facade and say, actually, I'm struggling in this area. Or I've read you know, Hebrews 10 and, and you know, I've got to be more encouraging. But imagine the other thing this passage talks about is that we should be an encouraging church. Verse 25 again not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. He's saying the more, the closer we get to the return of Jesus, we should encourage more. How's your gift of encouragement going? When was the last time you used words that you knew were going to build up people? When was the last time that you said to someone at church, hey, I've, been, I've noticed this in your life, and can I just say that's the spirit moving in your life? When was the last time you went up to someone who's been serving maybe a kid's church, and you said, hey, you know, it so encourages me as you are serving us and you're serving these kids that, that, that you are doing eternally significant work, and can I just say I'm super encouraged by that? And, and I'm praying for you. When was the last time you, you said that to somebody? But imagine if we were that church. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were a church where people were going, actually, man, can I just, can I just tell you what has, been, has gripped my heart this week from the scriptures? And you're encouraged by that. Imagine if we were the kind of church where people were going, hey, I really need your help to repent of this sin. Imagine if we were a a church which loved to go around and go, hey, I'm encouraged by you, I'm encouraged by you, I'm encouraged by you. Imagine if we had lists of people. I want to encourage this person, this person, this person. Imagine that we were that church. Is that the church you want to be a part of? Because that's a church I want to be a part of. And so I wonder what's got to change. It starts with you. It starts with you going, I'm going to encourage my brother or sister in Christ. It starts with you being open and willing to say, hey, I'm struggling with this sin and I really need you because I can't do this alone because I am not an individual Christian. I'm a corporate one. It starts with you. Being willing to say, if someone comes up to you and says, what, what truth from the Scriptures has gripped your heart, you are, you are willing to say, guess what? I'm struggling to read the Scriptures at the moment. Pray for me. Or I've been reading the Scriptures, but I, I just find it extremely dry. Can you pray for me? So you know the thing that's going to block us as a church from doing that? Is we don't want to seem weak. And we won't want to seem needy. And yet, that's exactly what the scriptures say about us. We are weak. We are needy. And that's why we come together for mutual encouragement. We come together to be reminded of what Jesus has done. We, be, we come together for that. See, when we decide to put on this facade that I've got it all together... You're fooling nobody because no, no one believes it. So you might as well be truthful about how you're doing. So let's be that. The beautiful thing is Jesus not only died for you as an individual, he died for us as a community to bring the, bring us together. And we are going to see Jesus on that last day, Well, and he's going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, but here's what you're not going to say. You're not going to say, yeah, I did it. Oh man, I was amazing. You know, the way I read my Bible prayed. No, you're going to say, hey, you know what? Jesus, thank you so much for, for, for putting me in Marseville Community Church. Because as I came every week, as I was encouraged, uh, as people challenged me about my sin, as, as people helped me read my Bible more, as people encouraged me all the more as, as we saw the day approaching, you, Jesus, worked through this community. And I stand before you, Jesus, on this last day, not because of anything that I've done, but because of what you have done and the way you work through this great community. Do you want to be part of a church like that? I know I do. Let's pray. Father God, I I thank you for this really challenging passage Lord, some of us have made a habit out of not attending church. Oh, yeah, we're Christians. If Jesus came back right now, we'd be saved. But actually, we're kind of anemic Christians. Some of us come to church all the time, but, but we don't have the spiritual humility to be open with each other. Some of our brothers and sisters are not here because we haven't spurred them onto love and good deeds. We've been too scared. We haven't loved them enough. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that through your spirit, you would reveal to us the things that we need to repent of individually so that we would be the church that that you want us to be. Not that we want to be, but that you want us to be. And Lord, help us to repent in community. Help us to encourage each other in this community and help us to be changed because you have brought us into this community a community that is shaped by Jesus, that is filled with the Spirit, this community of transformation through the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.